Turn to Psalm 130 again with me tonight. Last week I spoke to you about this psalm being one of Luther's favorites of his four psalms I think he had that were favorites. And that it was used and still is used by the Roman Catholic Church in their belief in a purgatorial fire, which of course none of us believe in since it is not scriptural, but believing that this psalm was the pleading of a soul in purgatory to get out of purgatory. But I can assure you that David was not speaking to the dead. David is speaking here especially about himself and about the living and the problems the living face. For the dead, beloved, after the death has come, the problems have all been settled, some, unfortunately, in the wrong way, and there's an absence of the presence of God for the dead. And some, most happily and joyously, the right way. And there is absent from the body and presence with the Lord. But the psalmist uh, here is speaking out of the depths. He is crying. And I think you would find that David and, and many of the psalmists and, and Paul, as I've said before, of course Luther called this a Pauline psalm, that uh, David and Paul, in many of the things they say, you can follow along and you can see the gist of everything they say and the way they say it, that these men had tremendous experiences with God, that they were of similar character, that they fell into sin and had similar experiences with the Lord. Now, they write down their experiences because the problems are common. We're liable to think that we're very uncommon. Now, sometimes this can be in the sense of pride, that we think we're very uncommon. But we can think that we're very uncommon in our personal lives, and that possibly the temptations that we face no one in the world has ever faced but us. But, beloved, that is far from the truth. It wouldn't matter much what the temptation was you've had, others have had it. And though you might think that it wouldn't be possible for any other human being in the world to ever be quite as wicked as you, I can assure you that according to God's word, they are, and that the same temptations that may take you have taken other men. And so the psalmist here, as he cries out to God for deliverance, is really entering into our hearts. For he wants you to understand. And you know, if we were to look through Scripture, we would find that all of these men, if we went down the full gamut of Abraham, and of course we'd start with Adam, couldn't we? But Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we could come to Moses and David, we could go down through all of the Old Testament patriarchs and we could go down through all of the New Testament uh, apostles and we could find that all these men cried out for forgiveness. So where would we stand if we say we do not need forgiveness? So that here the psalmist is, 
is showing that out of the depths of the, the deeps of our sin, we cry out to God. We not not to treat any sin lightly. Be careful of that. I hear people talk about, well, this sin isn't so bad. But all sin is sin. The word of God says, he that offendeth in one tittle of the law is guilty of the whole law. Lest we might become prideful that we haven't committed some sin, so therefore we're, we're all right. Let me read the psalm, and I'll talk just a little bit more about it. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. You'll notice the word Lord is used, I believe, eight times here, the divine name. Lord, hear my voice. You know, I, I might say here that uh, in prayer times, another thing that... Uh, the old fathers of the church called this was the psalm profundus, profound, deep. And they spoke of it as profound prayer. May I say this? Profound prayer glorifies God. I would venture that, and, I, and I'm only, you know, just taking this out of my own heart, in my own experience, that if I were to try to lay down some figure as to the amount of profound prayer that ever utters from a human heart that is redeemed in Christ, I would have to say the percentage is very small. Our prayers are really not profound. They have little meaning. They're casually said, not flippantly, but casually said. And there's no profoundness to them, no real talking with God. We almost, if I could say it, use a cadence. And uh, it's almost the same as the Roman who would say our father and then ten Hail Marys and another our father and use the rosary beads. And I would say that much Protestant prayer is of not much bet better character. That it is so light and so frivolous and so meaningless, honestly, isn't it? You know, the way, uh, of course, having been a Roman Catholic, uh, you can pray your rosary beads and think of a million things. I know that. You can make the signs of the cross in the church and think of a hundred other things. You can take the long penance prayers that the priest may give you, then you go up to the altar, and while you're praying all those penance prayers, you can think about anything else. And I'd like to say that even in our Protestant prayer lives, our born-again prayer lives, there is little profound, deep, intensive, sweating, crying, burdened prayer for ourselves or even the family God has given us. So there's very little profound prayer. And here, I couldn't help but notice that he says, Lord, hear my voice. Now, undoubtedly, there are many ways of praying. I sometimes think it's, it's better to pray and pray out loud. If you're alone in the house, I, I think it's tremendous. 
Some of you have told me, and I see some just saying now and shaking their heads saying, yes, I do, I do. Some of you have told me about your fathers, some of the old timers, that they still hear up in their bedroom when they pray. Praying out loud. And there is something about this that is tremendous. If there's one thing that praying out loud does, it keeps you awake. I say that carefully because it's very easy sometimes to say, well, I think tonight I'll, I'll wait till I get to bed. <laughs> May I say the worst position to pray in is on your back. I doubt you will get through it, but I do believe that uh, Praying out loud is, is a wonderful way to pray. Our Lord, hear my voice. And I tell you, when you're praying and using your voice, you're thinking. It is more profound. You must think to talk. Somehow, you don't have to think to think, you know what I mean? It's a strange thing, but when we're praying and saying nothing, can't you wander, you see? But you can't wander when you're talking. So that it may be that you're at home alone. Now, many times I pray out loud right in this church. There's no one here. And I'm by myself. And if someone were to steal in sometime, they might find me just walking up and down this middle aisle praying because I have found that it's so much more wonderful to just walk, and I, as I walk back, I look at the cross, it speaks to me of my Savior, and I can pray out loud within the confines of this church here. And it's a concentrating power as you pray, and you, your voice is being used. And you might say with the psalmist, Lord, hear my voice. Hear my voice. And, and the most wonderful thing is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to go over a myriad of miles. The Lord is here. He's with you. He's present with you because he abides in your breast. The Holy Spirit is there so that there's no distances, no great gaps between you and God. You can speak to God. And even though the psalmist here has fallen into hard times and difficult days and sin, yet he cries out to the only one that he knows can do, have deliverance for him. He says, I've cried unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. If we would use it uh, as the psalmist of old would, had used it, it would be, but the forgiveness we need is with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. In his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now, last week I spoke to you out of the out of the depths how we cry. And I tell you, those depths are, are tremendous. It, may I just quickly say that it speaks of our inability to escape on our own. 
we're ready to drown. It speaks of being outside the sphere of the family's help, outside the sphere of a man's help, outside the sphere of a psychiatrist's help. This is a matter between you and God, and only God can settle it. Psychiatry cannot settle a problem with God. Let us make sure we understand that. Psychiatry cannot settle your problem of sin. This is a matter between you and God, and only God can settle this problem. It has to be cleared with God, not with the psychiatric field. They may bring your guilt complexes up to the surface. This is not going to settle the problem. The problem must be settled with God if there is to be a settled peace in the heart. The depths speak of the torment of our hearts when we've been tortured by that guilt which comes into our souls from sin. And then, out of such depths we cry. Now, as I said last week, what are the feelings in our hearts because of this great despair? How do we feel within? Well, if we read David and we read Paul, we get a good idea of how a man's heart feels. How you feel. You can't escape it. You're the same as everybody else. And so, if there has been sin in the life, as I read David and as I read Paul, I find certain things exist within that person. We feel, as I said last week, as a worm and no man. We even question our salvation. Now, number two, we feel unworthy, if I might say, of family life. We feel unworthy of love. We feel undone completely. This is when God is dealing with the heart now. This is the heart of the Christian. This is the heart of the psalmist. This is the heart of the man who cries out to the Lord. This is not speaking of the heart of the man who cries out for a savior. This is speaking of the believer who has fallen and is crying out to his Lord. And so we feel that terrible unworthiness within us. How many have sensed that within their little family circle, that, that feeling that you're not fit for anybody's love? You feel so terribly alone. You know, there's a matter that must be settled between you and God. There are deep sighs within our breast that we cannot explain. How do I know? Because the psalmist says this. Our breath is shallow. Under the terrible strains of this, we go, oh. and we don't know why. We know something's all wrong within us. And these terrible sighs come forth from our breast, weighing us down under the weight of sin and crying out to God, Oh, Lord, deliver me. Lord, hear my voice. Hear my voice. We feel that we're so alone. We get to sense what it feels to be alone without God. For the heavens have seemed as brass since we've had our sin. Since we've been enjoying sin or possibly indulging in something we know we shouldn't or possibly some area of our lives that are not what they should be, we know 
And within our breast, there is that feeling that we're alone. We cannot penetrate to God. How many times have you been on your knees and you have felt that there is some, the heavens have been made of brass and you're not breaking through and you sense you're not breaking through. And God will keep you on your knees if you will stay there. And I tell you, beloved, that you will not always break through in one minute to God or two minutes or three or four. You just don't get on your knees and say, here I am, Lord, and I want to speak to you and expect that God is going to listen. God wants first to have his child in that perfect position where there is communion between the both of you. And so it may take you a half hour on your knees before suddenly your heart opens and all of the inner feelings pour out to God and you are what you are in all reality. You're the real man, the man that's within, and you open your breast and you ask God to look in and see if there be any defiling thing in me and cleanse it away. And suddenly the heavens open and you see your Savior and you have communion with him and you know that you've been forgiven and cleansed and you can speak to his heart. That's what it's like. And that's what it's like when forgiveness comes and when we really go. You know, in the heart of the sinner in such a condition the saint that has fallen into sin, even death may seem to be desirable. I remember that in days of old, Elijah cried out for God to take him. I'm alone, he said. There's no one with me, Lord. How can I face all of this? And the Lord looks at him and says, get up off your feet. There are 7,000 others who believe in this whole place here. Don't say you're alone, but this is the feeling within the breast. Lord, take me home. And that terrible weight is there, and that inner man wants relief at any cost, and even to the saint of God, death may seem desirable in the weight of that sin that is pounding upon his soul until it be forgiven. Our breath is shallow. Seeing a man who is in rags in the street or in the gutter as we walk along, if you're a man or a woman or a young person who is a Christian and you have been living in sin as, and God is dealing with your heart and the Holy Spirit really dwells within your breast and you know that you belong to God and you know you're a son of God, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son. And as you walk along, if you were to see a man lying in the gutter, all disheveled, you would look down at him and you would feel in your heart, I should be there. I know what I deserve. This is how the psalmist cries out, you see. He knew what he deserved. Read the psalms. Read Paul. Read him in Romans 7. See him as he said, Wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from this body of my death? And he sees himself for exactly Oh, listen, Christian, how I, how I pray to God that you'll be able to see yourself exactly as Paul saw himself or David saw himself or the great saints of God have seen themselves as the chief of sinners and the least of the saints. See yourself in this position crying out to God. We feel that that would be our just due, that here we are privileged to walk, privileged to be clothed, privileged to be fed, privileged to have a home, privileged to have a wife or a husband and children. And here we are in sin and we feel we're not deserving even to have the rags and to be in the gutter. 
That's the feeling of the human heart. When that human heart, that Christian, has fallen into sin. Have you ever sensed that? Do you think that I'm talking about just some great sex sin or adultery or something of that? I'm talking of sin and it's great, manifold things. Look at your life introspectly, not too often, but now and then you must look into your life and begin to deal with it, not just as though the only sin is the greatest of sins, or as some would say, the only sin that we have to worry about is the scarlet sin. But I want to remind you that the sins of the heart and the sins of the tongue and the sins of the temper and the sins that drag us down, the sins of worldliness, all these things. Have you really dealt with your life recently? Have you looked at it? And have you walked along with your mind thinking, what kind of a Christian am I really? Oh, God, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. What kind of a Christian am I? And then as you see yourself, you see yourself naked before God. And all the finery is gone. And there you stand. And you see what you are. Have you really looked? Have you lately? There aren't many people who want to look at themselves too much. I don't like to look at myself too often, but I know it's a necessity. I know it must be done. And I want to tell you, I feel just like Paul when he said, I am the chief of the sinners and the least of the saints. Have you realized that? Have you felt that? That's how the Holy Spirit deals with the human heart. Those are the feelings that go on in the human breast. Young fellow, young girl, these are the feelings of a Timothy of old. These are the feelings not of just the older or the young. When I was saved, I was in my 30s. But I want to tell you, my feelings in those younger years were very deep concerning sin. And I cried out to God with all my heart for forgiveness before I was saved. And when the Lord forgave me, I had a feeling at that time that the joy would always be in my heart and that there never would be any effect upon it. And I would be able to walk sort of in the clouds all the time. But I want to tell you, the longer I live as a child of God, the more I realize the desperate war of Satan against the Christian and his tremendous power and the effects of our own human hearts within our breasts. And I realized that that time when I cried out to God for forgiveness was a tremendous deliverance into the presence of God as a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I received him and as I was redeemed. But today my consciousness of sin is so much deeper than it ever was at that time, more than ever before. What does Paul say concerning himself? He says, Sin became exceedingly sinful. When? When he found Christ. Before that, it didn't bother him too much. 
But when he found Christ, it became exceedingly, exceedingly sinful. Our tongues lie dormant, if I might say, within our breasts. There's no witness can come forth. May I make that clear? The Christian living in sin has no witness for Christ. You can try to witness, you will not be able to. That tongue will cleave to the roof of your mouth. When there is sin in the life, the witness dies. We cannot speak to God as an unclean vessel. And so our tongues lie dormant within our very mouths, for our testimony is dead. Then we cry to the Lord. And we don't cry, beloved, for the relief of any one of these things. You don't cry to the Lord, Lord, take away this feeling in my mind. Lord, let me not think these things. Let me not be depressed. Let my heart not be so broken. A broken heart thou wilt not despise, O Lord. A contrite heart thou wilt not despise. But we don't pray for any of these things. We don't go to God and pray, I'm, I'm so upset within. Lord, calm my nerves. I, I just don't seem to be able to get any rest at night. I can't sleep, Lord. Help me to sleep. I remember the word of God that says he giveth his beloved sleep. But his beloved must be in a beloved position to get sleep. And so we don't cry out to God for any deliverance from any one of these things that is pounding at us. The shortness of our breath, the weight of his hand upon us. As David says, the dryness within my soul. We don't cry out to God, God, take away this, take away that, take away that. Straighten me out, do this, do that. God only wants one thing. He wants us to plead for forgiveness. And then every one of these symptoms will be cleared up. So don't pray about the thing that's bothering you. Don't pray about the fact that your heart is heavy and burdened. Pray for God to forgive you, whatever that sin be. And I, you know, I don't know how much I can impress upon your hearts that sin is not synonymous with sex. Sometimes I think that the Christian world has reached that point, you know, sometimes that they think that the only thing that's wrong in life is sex. But as I said before, we're to really search our hearts in every area of our lives to see where we stand, what kind of a Christian are we? And then looking in, then go to God and open our hearts to him, not praying to take away the sleepless nights, but praying for God to clear up the sin in our lives and give his beloved sleep. That's what he wants to do. And so notice here, he says, this forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait for the Lord. And in his word do I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. Yea, more than they that watch for the morning. Notice he pleads for forgiveness. He says, forgiveness is with thee. If thou shouldst count iniquity, who could stand? Lord, I 
forgiveness is with thee, but I wait. I've come to thee now with my burden. I wait. I wait for thy answer to me. May I say this, when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the minute you truly confess your sin, he's faithful and just and he forgives your sin. But it says here, notice, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared, O Lord. Because when that forgiveness comes, I want to period that is measured by God. It's a measured time. God may forgive your sin. He doesn't allow you at that moment to forget it forever, not until his work is done. Therefore, thou dost forgive my sin, but thou art here. Measured time according to the individual's capacity to restore themselves to that perfect place. God's measured time of holding his hand heavy upon you even after forgiveness. People don't understand this. People sometimes say, yes, but I went to the Lord and I still feel the same. Well, I want to tell you, you ought to feel the same. And God lets you feel the same. And God holds his hand heavy upon your soul for a measured time, and that measured time is the length of time it takes until God knows that you won't do it again. May I say that again? A measured time until God knows that you won't do it again. David confessed this sin but the hand of God was still heavy upon him. And God measures his time, whom the Lord chastens, he scourges every son. And if ye endure chastening, see, endure it. It's something you must endure. And the time comes when God knows his perfect work has been done in your heart. You know, we are of such a frail character that if God forgave our sins and gave us forgetfulness immediately upon the confession, we'd be back at it again. One of the great reasons as a Roman Catholic I objected to the Catholic Church and to the priest and to the forgiveness of sins was that I could go into the booth and confess my sins and it wasn't before I hardly was out the door that I was thinking about the same thing again, knowing that I could go back next Saturday and get the same forgiveness over again. Now God is our great high priest. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the great priest. Points. And he knows and he measures to everyone your capacity, your measured time is different than mine. It may take God, I may be a little tougher heart than yours, I don't know. It may take God a little longer to take a hold of Martin Gian and hold his hand upon him until he reaches that point where God can say, Now, son, I know 
you won't do it again. My hand's been heavy on Now I release my hand. Jaws. Oh, what a joyous moment. What a joyous moment. So don't be surprised. You would have to deny human experience to say that the minute God forgave my sin, I never thought of it again. You did. And it bothered you. But I want to tell you that once God takes his hand off you, forgetness is yours. Forgetfulness. I will remember your sins no more. They're in the deepest parts of the sea. Thy sins are removed from thee as far as the east is from the west. Remember David saying, And when thou forgavest my transgressions, now will I speak to men about their sin and their redemption. You see? It's good to know, you know. A lot of people come to me sometimes and say, I've confessed it and confessed it and confessed it. And I say, let me ask you something. After you confessed it the first time, did you do it again? Yeah, I did. After you confessed it the second time, did you do it? Yes, I did. Well, I want to tell you something. Next time you confess it, let God that hand that's been heavy upon you long but determine in your heart that this is it. God will keep that heavy hand upon you till he knows that work is finished. If you don't repent and if you don't forsake your sin, that hand will stay upon you, upon you, upon you. But when God gets his perfect work, then he takes that hand off you. And you're free. Free. He that is dead is freed from sin. And this is what God wants in our lives. But he can only get it through the chastening process. You read it in Hebrews 12. If ye endure chastening, then are ye sons. Endure it. And get God's finished work. To do in your heart. But you've got to look in there. Really open it to God. Really look in. Say, what kind of a Christian am I? Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy word tonight. Lord, help us to really be truthful with ourselves. That's our greatest problem. We hate looking at ourselves honestly. See what we are. Be truthful. Nothing glossed over. No sham. Just looking into our hearts, pulling ourselves apart a little bit. Lord, we know we don't have to do this every day, but there are times when we really should get close to Thee, draw nigh, and bear our souls completely to Thee and say, Now, Lord, talk to me about my soul. Tell me all those places where I've been failing, and there are many. Lord, speak to me. And then, Lord, as you speak to me, my heart cries out to Thee. I wait for thee. Oh, how I wait for thee. As they wait for the morning, so do I wait for thee. Lord, we would think how quickly of those who are desperately ill, oh, how they wait for the morning light. For the sentry who is bearing watch 
on the battlefield and how the first light of dawn is such a blessing to the heart. Lord, how we wait for thee. We pray that we'll be patient in waiting. And if God is chastening anyone here this night, if there have been some sleepless times that can be traced to sin, if there can be some deep problems that must be settled, some need in the life, some victory over the world, the flesh, or Satan, oh, Father, how we pray that as your hand rests upon them and you do your mighty work in your measured time, that that time will soon come when you can take your hand away and say, now, son, daughter, my chastening is finished. Go forth and sin no more. Touch our hearts tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.